Hello and welcome once more to Country Roads Confidential. I am your host, Chris Anderson, publisher of earsports.com, the West Virginia site on the 24-7 Sports Network. I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Mike Casaza, and we are here for an instant reaction to West Virginia's loss to Missouri. The Mountaineers are one and one for most everybody. That was what we expected prior to the season was one and one a win over James Madison and a loss at Missouri. Neither game went as expected though, although they looked pretty similar, at least as far as what looked good, what looked bad. Um, and and, and it, let's just get started there, Mike. I'm going to throw it to you. And I want you to tell me your overall, your first impression of what the heck happened today in Columbia during this 38-7 to loss for West Virginia? I would completely agree. I don't think that the record is a surprise, and I think that if the team doesn't play to its potential or even, like, really kind of um, maximize the margins, it doesn't have great room for error in, in any part of this roster, on the field, execution, anything like that. And if, if they get loose or get sloppy or they don't do what they're supposed to do, then these things can happen. They can be close against a really good FCS team. They can be not close against, uh, I don't know, probably a pretty good SEC team, it would seem. Um, so what concerns me is that in two games, and especially from week one to week two where you're supposed to get better, it didn't get better. And a lot of the same areas that were problematic in the first game were problematic in the second game. A lot of things that were you know, brought to the surface and exposed in the first game were exploited and taken advantage of in-game planning and then during the game. And if you can't get your guard up and you can't stop people from punching you in the nose, um, you're going to get knocked down a few times, and that is certainly what happened today. And, and Neil Brown addressed it during his post-game press conference. He he just put it all out there. Um, you know, no, no secrecy or anything. He said, this is the issue. This is what the last two teams have done to us. This is what the weaknesses we saw against JMU and – what Missouri, quote, took full advantage of were these issues were getting shoved around on the line, not being physical on offense and not and, and forcing them to try to win one-on-one matchups on the edge, and it wasn't happening. And he says teams are just going to keep doing that. So I, I think it's important to know that it's not a secret. Everyone knows it. West Virginia knows it. The opponents know it. Now the question is, what can they do to change that? I'm looking at the box score. And to answer your question, I don't, I don't know because while the tactics didn't change, the personnel didn't really change either. So I think that in the second half in particular, he knew they're not going to win. And he still said, I have a chance to get, you know, 30 snaps here that are live and are gradable, and I can make decisions based on that. Um, and the personnel didn't change. They didn't get better. And then he finally did make a couple te- twinks a couple tweaks later in the, the half and made some changes. And there's a bright spot there we can talk about, but I don't know because the offensive line isn't great. Right. And he is talking about how the issue is that sure. One through five aren't very good, but six through eight or six through 10 aren't very good either. And he doesn't have anybody he can put in. Let me ask you this. Um, did you see a backup offensive lineman take a snap? I know I saw John Hughes come on once, and they called a timeout, and they put Kelby Wickline back in. And my, my attention did fade a little bit in the third and fourth quarter. Sorry. But I cannot remember seeing Blaine Scott, um, Hughes, Junior Uzebu. I, mean, I didn't see 
anybody else take snaps, which is one of two things. Either they didn't or nobody did anything better than what the first five did. No, I'm with you. I, I was on the same boat. I saw John Hughes go in. It was very notable. I put it on the board as soon as it happened. And then, like you said, they called timeout, came back from timeout, and Kelby Wickline was back out there. And they traveled with uh, 6, 9, 10. Uh, and for those who are listening, make sure you go to earsports.com. You can see the full travel roster um, that was uh, kind of different from the one that Mike and I spent an unhealthy amount of time trying to guess at. But uh, that's okay. Uh but 10 offensive linemen traveled, and I'm with you, only five played, maybe six. And, and if anybody else played, it was way after the game was over and, and for minimal snaps because, yes, my, my attention to the details kind of waned towards the ends there as well. But I, I did take note when Jack Allison went in and when Trey Lowe went in, I wanted to see who else was out there with them. Uh, you know, I saw Michael Laughlin start getting a few more snaps at tight end. But many of the receivers were the same. Uh, and and all, I believe all the linemen were the same. Josh Sills was still out there. Colt McKivitz was still out there. Chase Barrett was still snapping. So if there were changes, uh, they were minor. They were late. And, and I might have missed them. But, uh, yeah, he kind of stuck with them. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite stat from the game? I got one, one I just kind of figured out right now. It's this game and last game, and looking back at history, 30 rushing yards for West Virginia today, 34 in week one. The last time West Virginia had fewer than 35 rushing yards in two in back-to-back games, you want to take a guess? Give me a year. It's the ball back then? I don't know what, I don't know what kind of football they played with, but it was 1951 was the last time West Virginia had back-to-back games with rushing yards of fewer than fewer than 35 rushing yards in a game. November 17th, 1951 and November 24th, 1951 against Pitt and Maryland. That must have been a really rough couple of weeks for the message boards then on that day. Mine is, well, I'm going to steal this from you. West Virginia's final 37 snaps came on their side of the field. They just yeah. weren't getting into Missouri territory at all. They're not moving the ball. That's trouble. They hit a long touchdown pass, but that came from, I believe, the other side of the field, correct? No, it was on the 46. They got one snap on that 46. Okay, so, all right, 36 <laughs> out of the final 37 snap. That's one. How about this? We're two games in. West Virginia has a grand total of two red zone possessions. Three red zone snaps, minus eight yards, no points. Well, I'm I'm not certain I can type your top your red zone stat, but I'm I not... also ju- <laughs> I also just noticed that only three times out of thirteen drives today, only three times did West Virginia cross the fifty yard line, and one of those that are they started in Missouri territory and ended up back in their own territory to end the half. All right. Well, how about this? They need, <laughs> they need 53 snaps to top 100 yards of offense for the day. I don't, I don't know how much further we could go with this before we're just going to depress the heck out of everybody listening right now. West Virginia uh, has 24 offensive series this year, traditional ones, not take knees at the end of a game or get into halftime. So 24 traditional series. 
12 have gained nine or fewer yards. This is after 25 preseason practices. I'm surprised that they are not better than this. I think that's probably fair to say, but I, I kind of thought they would be more adept offensively. I think that the defensive struggles because the change was more significant. I think we thought that might have been an issue. Um, the defense, probably assisted by Missouri in the second half, was better after halftime today. It certainly was better despite JMU's you know, concerted effort um, in the second half of the first game, but bad in the first half today. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at things now, and I see a team that had 150 yards passing, didn't have a 100-yard rusher, didn't have a receiver with more than 42 yards receiving, um, didn't like snap off a ton of big plays, and was up 38 nothing. Their longest play was 26 yards, and they were up 38 nothing. That's not that's not dominant, and it was by far enough to win the game. And that's that's really curious to me how that's happened because again, I thought they were sharper and they'd be better and, and more organized and better to coach. And there were there were some things today, like some things started to unravel that that kind of got my attention. And I don't know if that's one game or or one thing to keep an eye on in the future. But um, Missouri played a fine half. I'm not sure they played a fine game, but they didn't have to either. Then it was still plenty to win by. So I know this is something that that the message boards like to do the where where is West Virginia going to make changes on the depth chart? What's who needs to, who, who needs to be benched? Who needs to start? Who needs to get to try? And I don't want to start throwing our own opinions on there, but there were a couple moves late that raised an eyebrow. Um, let's save quarterback for one more minute here. Um, but first running back, Alex Sinkfield. Let's preface this with the fact that all throughout fall camp, you know, from what you had seen and what you had heard, he had kind of been the standout at running back for West Virginia, but was basically relegated to third or fourth string once the season started. It's been a rough couple weeks. Uh, today, Kennedy McCoy and Martel Petaway combined for 13 carries for negative five yards. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, uh, and then Singfield came in and eh, yeah, nine carries for 27 yards. Um, your thoughts? Is this? Did you see anything, or, or or is was there was that enough to even say you saw something that maybe a change needs to be made? What what are your thoughts there? I don't know about making a change, but you got to get him in more. And and he's a guy that's going to be a complimentary player. Where ideally you get McCoy and Petaway running the way they can, which is up inside, start to get people breathing heavy. And then all of a sudden, Sinkfield comes in, he can cut back, he can run around people, he can break a tackle easier because of what other guys have done. Um, that hasn't worked in two games. I've seen nothing out of McCoy or Petaway in these first two games that make me think that um, they can do it themselves. They're not getting help from the offensive line. I'm not saying they're bad players, but I haven't seen anything right now that says they can lift themselves um, above the problems in front of them on the running game. And so, again, it's a combined effort here. It's never just one thing. But Sinkfield did come in, and they handed him some stuff up the middle. Um, he cut back. He leaned a little bit. And I, I do think that that wasn't necessarily Brown saying, all right, let's put number six and number 32 on ice for the day and make sure they're fresh for NC State. I think it was him saying, all right, Sinkfield has to play. Um, I think he had three touches last week, um, dropped a pass, had one handoff, didn't do a lot and really wasn't involved early in this game until they started handing the ball, and he did some things. So at the very least, 
you know, there's two or three runs where, you know, he bounced around inside uh, or he cut back or he shed a tackle where that's what they're looking for. They're looking for some life. Um, you know, a six yard run was his highlight. But if you take that away, you know, nobody else had more than like a three or a four yard run. Um, and their best runs up to that point were with Sam James or Tevin Bush doing unconventional stuff. And tell me what you think of this, too. They didn't do hardly anything offensively in the run game last week. And it was getting very conventional stuff, you know, inside zone, outside zone. Really no counters, no power plays, nothing. And I kind of thought that they weren't going to show their hand and they were never going to show Missouri, all right, this is how we'll counter what you do to us to stop us. And you can do that against an FCS team because you can just push guys around and get away with simple stuff. And if they don't stop you, you don't have to counter it. But they stopped them and they didn't counter it. And I was like, not really bothered by that because I thought it was some type of strategy. But they did the same thing for two quarters today, and then what stood out was in the second half, everything had a gimmick. Um, I would say probably the final three quarters, really, everything had a gimmick attached. There was motion, there was some type of an option, or there was some sort of a player off the quarterback's hip in the backfield. There's a receiver trailing the action on almost every play. Does that say anything to you about where they're going or where they are? Desperate to find an answer, find yes. something that can move. Um you know, obviously, when you get that motion, it, it helps you read the defense, moves moves defenders, tells you what what they're lined up in, helps move guys out of out of one spot or into another spot, so you can get the right numbers as well. But you know, does it matter? Because it, it, you're not going to move the defensive linemen; you're going to move these linebackers and these safeties in the in the defensive backfield. But the offensive line still has to be able to block the defensive line or else none of that motion matters unless they're going to just go outside and, and try to get quick hitters. And, and I mean, you can't just completely abandon the run game. I don't think mm. we're talking um, about backup linemen and Blaine Scott, <laughs> junior Uzebu, James Gemitter, um, probably your Bryson Mays. Those are your four guys that you think would figure into it. They're all red shirt freshmen. Tyler Thurman didn't even travel, and that's the one guy who's kind of played a little bit and has been in the program for three years. So they're they're just kind of at a loss for people right now. You you really don't want to play redshirt freshman probably until next year, probably until you're at the point where Thurman is right now, and, and you know, he's not even dressing for trips right now. Uh, and even the fifth backup that traveled, at least, uh, John Hughes, is New. a junior college player who was supposed to be still in JUCO this year. He was a late guy that West Virginia convinced to leave early and arrive in May to come play this season. He's supposed to still be in junior college. So, yeah, the whole the whole second five here, at least the second five that traveled, are either redshirt freshmen or um, JUCO guys that are supposed to still be in JUCO. So it's it's not great. It's not great, Mike. Adam Stilley did not dress or travel either, and that's a guy they thought was going to be there good backup center and I mean they don't have one center right now because look at Barron had trouble today um, dealing with some of that stuff right over the middle and that's a problem um, we hear a lot of stuff about um, Iron Mountaineers and workout warriors and um, Mike Joseph and I'm not saying Mike Joseph is not good at what he does that's not my point here but we hear a lot about their physical accomplishments and they're pretty proud about this and I, I don't think it's hard to look at some of their players and say wow uh, that person's bigger that person's in shape that person's lost some weight um, visually, that looked like a mismatch at times today out there. Yeah, uh, I know you and I talked about it right before we got on here, but just looking around, especially with Kelly Bryant, just this tall, statuesque man 
running around out there breaking tackles and and not the defensive linemen that are trying to make the tackles but say Giovanni Stewart five foot nine maybe five foot ten coming up trying to make a tackle on him or the time that uh Josh Norwood who is maybe generally generous generously listed at what five ten uh came up in the box to try to stop a running back and just got run over for a first down um I'm with you. I noticed it as well as the game was going on. It was one of my notes was just that Missouri looked bigger. They looked stronger. And it, not that, you know, again, not that West Virginia's not working out or stronger, but it just seems that whole, uh, you know, getting the prototypical size linebacker, prototypical quarterback, you're seeing the difference right there with West Virginia kind of settling for those tweeners um, and, and sticking them in spots. Left tackle six seven three thirty. Left guard is six six three forty. Center the center. Uh, I thought it was pretty good today. It was six four three fifteen. Right guard is six five three thirty. Right tackle is six six three zero five. Their tight end is six five two fifty five. The other tight end is six four two sixty. Those are men. I mean, yes. those those are grown individuals out there. And the, I think there is a bit of a personnel disadvantage because West Virginia's defense is built to play a very different way. Um, but. I was just struck by, I mean, the number of missed tackles is continually concerning, but it seemed to me that they were missing so many tackles because they were leaning and lunging and going for the arm tackles because they were just pushed out of the way so often and so easily. I mean, there were some zone plays where it was easy. It was just stretch it out and you're going to have alleys because guys were getting pushed toward the sidelines and cutbacks were there. Um, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good offensive line, but it had its way at times. And again, here's, here's three running backs that had 10 or more carries and each average five yards. And again, no, no play longer than 19 yards. So it's not like they hit a 60-yard run and inflated the running stats, which is kind of what Wyoming did last week. Had back-to-back runs for about 140 yards, and that contributed to the 297. Um, but that never happened with Missouri today. They got their yardage just in consistent chunks, and again, just by by moving people. And even, I mean, even the plays where West Virginia tried to tackle, Bryant's 6'3", 235, and guys are lunging him, and they can't reach him with their arms. Um, it seemed to me early on that that the line, the offensive line, was having some type of a problem with West Virginia's defensive line, and guys were getting good push. Like Stills got inside a couple times, both Stills got inside a couple times, um, Pooler got inside a couple times. They were getting to him, and it seemed that Bryant realized pretty early, don't panic, you know, sidestep, backstep, let them catch me, and he knew they couldn't, and he seemed really comfortable in the pocket that he was going to have time if he created it. Uh, and, and from that point over, he never seen pressure or worried about anything. And in seventeen twenty five, only for one hundred and fifty yards, had a really good day, but had it easy at times too. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now, Mike, I think we have avoided the topic long enough. Quarterback. Um, Kendall struggled. Uh, 15 of 25 for 137 yards, one TD, two interceptions. It was a lot worse than that before his second run through as a starter, which is a topic in and of itself here. But let's start with Kendall. Give me one word for what you saw from Kendall today. Regression. Okay. Thought it was really good in the second half last game. Devoted all of the film or fiction to it because it seemed like late in that second quarter he got comfortable, and then, and then he made some some comfort plays where you could just tell he was at ease. He's rolling out and flipping the ball over defenders to guys in the run. You know he's throwing fades to the right spot. Um, he did not have that today. He never looked confident or comfortable. I don't I don't think scared is the right word, but I think that he was hesitant or reserved at times to do stuff. And um, I thought that the coaches put him in some some difficult situations maybe sooner than they had to 10, nothing is not insurmountable. Um, 31, nothing is, but you know, they were going third and medium and trying to get him to, to read and read and read and wait and wait and wait and throw deep passes. And he got caught a couple of times, uh, against that defense and behind that offensive line. I'm not sure that was the best situation for him. And that's easy to say now because we watched it for four quarters, but I'm not sure what gave him the confidence that the offensive line would be able to hold up and protect him. Um, didn't do it last game. Um, and he took some shots early in this one too, where he looked like, Oh boy, it's gonna be a long day. So the interceptions, I want to say on the first one, I have to see a better view of it. I thought Bush stopped his route and then restarted it. And that's why the ball went behind him that he was positioned and he came back to him and he was there, but I'm pretty sure that that play was set up to go to the other side and Bush wasn't thinking it was coming to him. Um, I think it was supposed to go to the right side of the field because there were guys open there. And I don't think Bush is ready for that. The second one just got tipped, and he had a guy open. Um, the linebacker made a really good play, so we can talk about the interceptions. The touchdown, to me, doesn't really count, um, but taking sacks on third down and field goal range. Taking sacks on fourth down, where just put the ball in play and something may happen, that was one thing that stood out to me, but I don't think they ever got him in a rhythm. Um, you know, Again, came out three straight passes, and again, the first drive just didn't go anywhere, too. And does he need to ease into things better? Or does he need a better script at the start of the game? I don't know. So two weeks, what I can say is that um, you know, it was much more of an uphill battle today where he kind of ended last game kind of running downhill. And they made it easier on him at parts in the second half of last game where I don't think it was necessarily easy on him at all today. Yeah, so I, I do have Kendall stats here. This is when he basically faced the starters for Missouri. 12 of 22 for 87 yards with two picks and five runs for negative 20 yards. Of course, most of that being sack yardage, but... You know, after he came back in and was facing a few backups, uh, he went three for three for 50 yards, including that 46-yard touchdown. But the brief time in between there is a topic that will likely be discussed. Jack Allison makes an appearance, (laughs) uh, hands it off once, and then I thought it was his first attempt, stat, stat, Stat box score says two. Um, he, he hit O'Loughlin right in the middle. Oh, that was O'Loughlin pass. That's right. Okay. Hit him on the little quick hitter for four yards and then through the pick six. Um, before we give our thoughts, uh, I'll, get, I'll share uh, Neil Brown's thoughts. He was asked about it after the game. And he kind of just said he threw an out cut into cover two. 
that's that's tough. And that was about it. I mean, he said he wanted to see Allison get her some run and stuff like that, but then he ended it with that comment. This that, is what that means. That means that, like, you, the layperson, should know not to do that. My right. quarterback should definitely know not to do that. He put that in such plain speak that it was supposed to be, like, an obvious thing. If you see this, you don't do it. And I think he's highly disappointed that his quarterback went out there and did that. It, it Just looking at Neil Brown's face as he was saying that comment, it was just like I, I was ex- fully expecting him to just end it with, that's quarterbacking 101 or something. It just seemed like, yeah, this is extremely obvious and a cardinal sin. And it was just too much for him to even keep him out there. Cause when it first happened, I thought, God, wow, that was, how do you pull a quick hook like that? Uh, you know, one, one bad pass and he's out either leave him in there or, or go to low right away. And low Trey low came in later, but they went back to Kendall instead. So, what does this mean for Allison? What does this mean for that whole position, that whole hierarchy there? And oh God, do I even bring up Jarrett Deggie yet? He didn't even travel. The fans have. By the yes. way, Trent Jackson traveled, and I'm going to say that he's going to have a helmet every game because he signals in plays. So right. he's going to every road game. I'm not sure he'll ever play, but I'm, he's going to every road game. So that's one of the 70 spots right there. Also, I just want to point out, two long snappers. Yeah. <laughs> I, I double checked it for the the specialist, and that was the first thing I th- I saw. I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" Here's what, I, here's what I think. I think Allison has probably made that mistake before in practice, and they have told him you can't throw into the coverage like that. You have to look at the underneath coverage because I, I, I'd have to see it again. It was picked off by the underneath cor- uh, coverage, and the cornerback who was covering the receiver, I want to say it was Bryce Wheaton, but don't hold me to it. Um, he was inside. He was between. Wheaton and the pass. So if the underneath guy doesn't get it, my observation was that the cornerback gets it too, um, which is why you can't do that. You can't throw that in the cover two there. And again, Brown made it sound like so obvious and so simple, probably because to football people it is. You just don't make that throw and out cut into coverage. And I'm guessing Allison has made that mistake before. And, you know, straws, camel's back. Sometimes those things come into the equation. And I wonder if, if that was something that they just said, Darn it, we've told him a million times not to do that, and he did it again. That was my reaction, that when a guy makes a mistake that you've warned him against before um, and he goes out and does it, he doesn't get a second chance. Um, I was surprised, though, that if you take Kendall out because you don't want him getting hurt in your needless situation here, that he went back in. And I guess he gets a confidence boost with a touchdown pass and being able to run down the field and pat people on the head. Maybe he needed that, maybe he didn't. But, like, boy, the next time they need to or want to go to a backup – is it Allison or is it low? I think right now we might have an answer to that. I think it's low. Yes. Is that the answer? I found it amusing and, and almost like a thumb in our eye that like Lowe took a handful of snaps and was just running replays and he never kept it. Yeah. Apparently that's illegal. <laughs> so uh, see, Kansas is away in a couple weeks. Who, what are, what are the, how many, Quarterbacks are traveling. Who's going in week four? It's still four. Um, okay. I think that, I mean, I'm not going down this road, but if, if they're two and six. No, no, this is week four. So I, at worst, they're one and no, two. I, I think that's, I think the four still travel. I don't think okay. they can any time now, but I think, okay. if, I think if they're two and six um, and this continues, and again, this is to me, it's a silly conversation to have because this is a bad day. I don't know if it's a bad team or a bad season, but maybe, you know, maybe six games from now, 
we've had this conversation a couple more times and this becomes different in tenor and scope. Um, but I do think that if they're two and six, then probably some combination of those three quarterbacks haven't gotten it done in stars or an extended action. And you got number two who's eligible next year and can play four games in a red shirt. And you might think about it, but man, we're at that point already. No, I don't think so. I just want to throw it out there with you real quick. Cause like we said, to start this podcast, one and one, most of us expected one and one. I think I was even on a podcast with uh, Eric Blum from uh, the Columbia Tribune, and I said, I think it's going to be a two, maybe three-score game. I think Missouri's going to win by double digits, and they did. Now, again, not quite um, what I was expecting. I thought West Virginia put up a little bit more of a fight, but I think come back to me a week from now after that NC State game. I labeled it as one of the two kind of swing games for the entire season. I still feel that way. If West Virginia comes out flat for that game, whew, I think I think we're looking at that two and six scenario. Wow. Um, I think it could get that bad. But if they come out and win that game, then you go to Kansas, maybe get a win there. You're three and one. And, and what Missouri game? What are you talking about? So – I don't think it's panic button time yet. Um, I think next week is really going to be kind of a, a telling game. Are NC, you are you NC are you State still okay? NC State won forty-one to nothing today. Well, all right, panic button. Then I'll, I'll press it. Allowed one hundred and six yards of offense, and that's pretty good. Um, but played Western Carolina, and you'd say, "Oh, FCS team, fine." Uh, Western Carolina in their opener had a 300-yard passer, had 150 yards rushing, and at times went up and down against um, Mercer, which is a pretty good FCS team. But obviously, FCS, FCS, it's not a, it's not a juggernaut, but uh, had nothing going today and really got their yardage late in the game. So they were they were sub 100 for much of that game. So concerning because um, NC State's rebuilding on offense right now. They did the rebuild on defense last year. Um, so that's that worries me, and, and there's obviously a, a connection there that that guy's going to want to come in and put the handcuffs on West Virginia's offense next week. And if Tony Gibson does that, um, you know he he's really good at getting his guys to play for him. Say what you will about his scheme, and that you don't miss the three three five, and that you know anything like that. I'm, that's not what I'm trying to do. But I think what anybody can say is that his players really got to play for him. And if this team is trying to figure him out as their new co-coordinator, and he's trying to connect something. Um, to his past, to his present, really easy for him next week. Um, if you can wave a magic wand over someone, something, just one. You don't have a lot of shakes in that wand. Where are you going? Oh, it's got to be quarterback. I'm a, it's always the biggest thing for me. And I think excellent quarterback play can swing your season four games, um, you know, two, two or three games one way or another. And – yeah, you got to have somebody that can block. You got to have somebody that can run. You got to have somebody that can catch. I think West Virginia has somebody that can run, multiple people that can run. We've seen it already. I think they have guys that can catch the ball. Um, I think the defense is not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that leaves me with the offensive line and the quarterback. And I'm not sure there's one singular answer on the offensive line of it. Kind of disappointed in, in a lot of the play there. Um, so I got a good quarterback. You, okay. Yeah. You, I, you, 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 you made a noise when I said quarterback. 
Was it too obvious? Again, I'm just again I'm I'm not disagreeing. I'm but I'm surprised we're already here at that point. And I don't think it's wrong, but I just didn't, especially after the way he I thought grew in the second half last week. I didn't think that was gonna be a problem. And I just I just didn't like what I saw. He wasn't as authoritative today. He backfooted too many things. I think he was concerned about the protection in front of him. And that that kind of worries me in the second game. And that's really his first stiff defensive challenge, and it didn't look great to me. I would oh. go to receiver just mm-hmm. because they're not beating jams. And again, if you're going to play with a bad offensive line and you're not going to give your quarterback time, you got to get off the jams, and they can't. Um, they're just they're locking down, playing press coverage. Jam, you did it. Uh, Missouri's cornerbacks are kind of good. I wasn't aware of that, but they were they were pretty good. Long guys who who were able to extend their arms and lock people up, and it just makes things easier on the defensive line and it makes life miserable on the quarterback. If they could find a way to just to get open, turn like just. You can turn around and catch five-yard routes, and you can do that a couple of times, and you break some tackles if you're strong. If you're strong enough to break the press, you can strong enough to make break a tackle probably. Uh, that would help a lot. I think defensively, um, I mean, maybe you wave your wand over Taj Austin's knee because that yeah. doesn't look good, um, and the defensive line does not need a hit because that's kind of how they've been getting their push. They're not getting a lot from the linebacker, the bandit, so something there might be good, but I, I kind of feel okay with the defense. Um, I just think that they got avalanche today because the offense was doing nothing. But I really feel like there's potential to make plays at receiver that maybe right now doesn't exist in other spots. And it might lift up the quarterback and make him better. But I don't know. We'll see. And, and to be clear, you said wave a magic wand just to make it better. I don't know about a change because we saw a little bit of a change and we saw what happened. Um, so I, let's be blunt about it. I don't know what the answer is at quarterback right now. Um, and But I think the problem is I'm not sure anybody does, which is – a problem uh you know mike do you know the answer i think at times that we we, we watched kendall only twice and it's looked kind of jekyll and hyde that's fine but i just maybe he gets better with more reps because again he got better within the first game as he got comfortable and he never got comfortable today maybe he's better next time maybe there's more time out there you know third time is you know not not the second certainly isn't the first it may just be good for him to keep going out there um, I don't know. Do you turn the heat up on him in practice? Do you send your scout, scout team after him? Um, you know, Skylar Howard, when he would get hit, he played pretty good. Um, maybe Kendall is like that. Maybe they should run him a little bit because maybe that wakes him up and he's getting better. We just don't know about him. I don't know what the what the buttons are to press or what the locks are and, and how, you, how you get him off the, the door frame here so he can start playing like they wanted to or they need him to. But I just just some of his decisions, throwing into coverage and back foot and stuff, and and just quick things that he saw where he wasn't waiting and looking through stuff. Where I think he did better last week. Um, and again, they they made it hard on him. Missouri did today, and I just don't think he had a lot of help making it easy on him. Receiver though is curious because um, Campbell doesn't play very much, and Ryan didn't do a whole lot today. And Ryan does not right now impress me as a blocker, and it may be new to him too, or something that he's just got to get better at. He's still young, but. Um, you know, those outside guys have to be better. And if if they're not going to run the ball very well inside, do you need T.J. Simmons inside? Could he help him out more as an outside guy? Could he play more outside? I don't know. Um, there's There are people at receiver, but, again, I just look at that thinking that there's – I'm looking at these names. Campbell, Wheaton didn't even catch a pass today. Um, Ryan, I think people agreed upon, was pretty good in camp, but we haven't seen it in games. But there's guys there who can do stuff. Um, and it's just not happening vertically for them right now. Again, these these guys aren't good enough to go 10 plays, 12 plays. They need to hit some deep passes to score or, or to at least move the ball, and that's going to have to come from receiver because it's not coming from running back right now. 
All right, Mike, I don't want to take anything more from your three things you think, three things you know piece tomorrow. So let's cut it off here unless you have something else that you'd like to add just to kind of wrap this up. Let me ask you this. The Uh the 70-man travel roster, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to ask you for, like, surprises or whatever. There are a couple. Like, I'm surprised that Ollie Jennings travels. I was surprised that um, Trent Jackson traveled. Um, Not surprised there's two holders. But, like, there are some players. And, again, Letty Brown not playing. Not sure how much he helps, but he's a physical guy inside. Uh, Dre Miller, cornerback. I don't think cornerback play was their problem today. So, again, I'm not sure how much that helps. But there are some players, we've mentioned a couple, who aren't playing. Do you think any one of them is missing from the equation right now, offensively, defensively? Uh, I'm going to rattle. I'm not sure. I, I think because the one, the one guy that was, I would, if you would ask me this, say, three weeks ago or two weeks ago, I would have thought that Charlie Benton would have been making an impact with this team. But then, as I noted before, the week before the um, season opener, I got the intel about the travel roster or the starting lineups, the first, second team. And Benton was not even with the active roster. He was with the scout team, which shocked me at the time. But there's, you know, I'm looking at those guys on that list, and I don't see anybody that's going to – really be the one that's going to, you know, change things for this team. At least I don't think you got somebody in mind. I think Tavis Lee may have to play now. If oh, Austin, with Austin back, if Austin is hurt, if that looks as bad as it is. And again, that's a right knee and he messed his right knee up when he was a freshman at East Carolina. So I'm, I'm, I'm taking liberties there and I shouldn't, but like that looked pretty bad. They had an air cast on him and he looked like he knew something was wrong. Um, they're going to need a guy there. And I don't know who else it would be besides him. Benton and Hensley, Adam Hensley didn't travel. Um, those are both guys who can play Mike. Um, I think Benton is playing Mike right now. Hensley, I believe, is a bandit, but they can play middle linebacker. And, ah, man, I don't think Campbell played any middle linebacker today again. I think it was just Abbott and Concrete, and they were, again, getting kind of pinballed around sometimes too. So I don't know if it's more bodies or bigger bodies. But what's interesting is that they're not there right now, and let's just say that those are the top three guys who might make it onto a future 70, they're actually mm-hmm. like fourth or fifth because as soon as Brown's healthy, someone's coming off that 70. And as soon as Miller's healthy, someone's coming off that 70. Um, I don't know who that's going to be. Maybe an offensive lineman and maybe a receiver, but um, they're actually further from playing time than, than we realize. And as soon as Cowan's unsuspended, uh, someone else is coming off that 70. Didn't even think of that, but boy – I kind of feel like he can't hurt at this point. Like, I don't, I think we have this giant question mark over him as to, you know, we, we kind of get seduced by hype sometimes, but we also kind of resent it a little bit too, where we just say, you can't guarantee that guy's going to be that good just because he played at Alabama and just because he had five stars next to his name. But now you're in a situation where like, well, actually he's probably going to look pretty good out there running around and doing stuff that these guys um, right now aren't doing. So yeah, I mean, you're talking those three we mentioned, um, yeah, the right answer here probably is Cowan. He's probably the guy who can help the most that's not dressing right now. Okay. For real, I'm wrapping it up this time, Mike. Uh, we will be back hopefully sometime this week, a couple times this week for sure, uh, to discuss next week's game against NC State. We'll have all the usual stuff up. We'll have Neil Brown's press conference, interviews with coaches and players, more reaction. So be sure to check out over the next few days at earsports.com. Plenty of free and VIP content for you there. Uh, I am Chris Anderson. And I'm happy to say that we did get better in the second week. (laughs) Chris, you were much more physical at the point of attack. Went back. You studied. 
Oh, thank you. Yes, um, and we'll just keep getting better from here. I'm Mike Casaza. Uh, thanks for listening.